Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, welcome to all of you uh, who are with us. Summer is here, and it's supposed to be right a season of the year where we can slow down and uh, we have longer days with more daylight. Some are taking vacations, uh, some this morning are away on vacation, some travel to see family that are long distances away. We, we want a slower pace to life that the summer offers because we all find ourselves feeling busy, overworked, worn out, longing for rest, which is not just a sign that we need summer for rest, but at times it's an indictment on how we live the rest of the year. Uh, and so we're preaching this summer through the Psalms with the hope that God would give rest to our souls, that the Psalms are a place we believe to do this because the Psalms teach us how to pray. And prayer is communion with God, and it's in communion with God that our souls find rest. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 8, which is a song, a hymn of pray, the praise of creation, uh, one that may be familiar to some of you. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word to us this morning out of Psalm 8. We give attention to a God who speaks to us. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us, the one who created in the beginning, spoke and created. Would you speak to our hearts and to our minds now? Would your spirit that hovered in the beginning move within our hearts and within our minds and within this community of faith this morning? Would you reveal yourself with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing as I preach your word? Thank you that you're faithful to Bring the fruit of your word to bear in our lives. Would you do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Bridget Schulte is a researcher, journalist, author of a book called Overwhelmed. And she reports that seniors who ought to be teaching the rest of us how to enjoy life feel flattened by all the tasks that they needed and wanted to do in a day. That 40% of American workers, no matter their socioeconomic status, feel overworked. Americans feel that they work longer and in more extreme conditions than in any other industrialized country. Half of all workers feel like they have too much work to finish in a typical week. Two-thirds report not having enough time to spend with their spouse. Three-fourths report not having enough time to spend with their children. Add that we live in a technologically inundated society where we can be connected, updated, accessed anywhere at any time. It makes the longing that we have for rest ever elusive. Schulte comments that this is how it feels to live my life, scattered, fragmented, and exhausting. 
I'm always doing more than one thing at a time and never do any one particularly well. I can relate to her. I feel like I'm constantly juggling 10 balls here at the church, wishing I had more time with my family, longing for vacation, but even when I do vacation, I tend to think about all that I want and need to do when I get back. So here's a question I've been asking myself recently. Do I really want rest? Let me ask you that question. Do you really want rest, deep rest, soul rest? But let me give you an answer that comes from Psalm 8 on how we can rest. You want to know it? Come on, give me something. Do you want to know it? You, you awake? Okay, good. We need to learn to see. We need to learn to see. It's that simple. We need to learn to open our eyes, to look, to behold, to see. Look at verse 1 and verse 9. They're the same. They open and close this, this Psalm, Psalm 8. They're bookends driving a major point to us this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, this is God's personal name. This is Yahweh, the, the name that God gives Moses in Exodus when, when Moses says, who should I tell has sent me? And God says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. I am the absolute existing one in all of the earth. I am. See, verse, verse 1 and verse 9 could be translated, God, our master, our king, who is above all and absolute in all the earth. There is no place in all the earth where God is not Yahweh, where he's not master and king. Everywhere, everything depends on him. He is above all things, sustains all things. He's greater and wiser and more beautiful than all things in all places. What the psalmist is beginning and ending with is that God is the creator, therefore worthy of praise. He stands above and over all of his creation. He is not a God who is mixed with his creation. He rules over his creation. He is distinct and separate from, therefore deserving of praise. He's our Lord, right? The covenant God. He's the communal God. He has created, verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, look at all that the Creator has created, when I open my eyes and behold the God who rules over all, when I see, when I see, this psalm, and I would say the Bible, is not primarily concerned with the process of creation, but primarily concerned with us recognizing and seeing that God is the Creator, whatever the process, and therefore is due praise. What Psalm 8 teaches us is that we must pray with our eyes open to see the Creator and see all of His creation. And when we see, we give Him praise. John Calvin famously said that God's creation is His theater to display His glory. That all of God's creation is His theater by which we view His glory. If you've ever had box seats to a play or a concert or a sporting event, uh, a few times I've been gifted to be able to sit at a, in a box seat at a sporting event. Right, from the box, you can see the whole field, right? Even in boxes, they have TVs where you can see a replay. If you missed it, right, you, you can see clearly. They're the best seats in the house, giving you the best view. Humanity has been given box seats 
to God's theater. If we just open our eyes and look and see, we will behold the beauty and glory of God in all things, in all places. The mountains, a river, a blue bird that lands in the yard, a dog chasing a ball, beautiful architecture of an old building or new construction, a child's laugh and a child's cry, two friends talking over a cup of coffee, thousands attending a Bulls baseball game and cheering. We can see the glory of God everywhere. Psalm 8 gives us some insights into what we can see about God and His glory if we just look. Let me give you the first thing it teaches us. Is that God uses the weak to defeat the strong. Look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That might might seem strange, the rest of the psalm, but it's not. It's purposeful. I've already said that God is God. None like him. He's absolute, dependent on nothing, yet everything in all places depend on him. And then verse 2 lets us know that this God has an enemy, an avenger. God could simply say one word to defeat his enemy. He's Lord, right? He could choose to make anything he wants to go out of existence like that. But instead... God chooses to defeat his enemies with babies. And not just babies, but with what babies say. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. You know what a a good sign of health for a newborn baby is? As a baby is born, a good sign of health is a big, loud cry. Right? Enables oxygen to fill the lungs for the first time. The first thing a newborn baby does is it just cries out. And from our two children, it's normally pretty loud. (laughs) Big, loud cry. Babies and infants can't do much. They don't say many words. They communicate to their parents by crying. When there is a loud cry, you know they're either hungry, tired, or uncomfortable. Their cry communicates their need. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, God has established his strength to defeat his enemy. Catch this. God's strength and the way that God defeats his enemy is by the loud cry of need. Which is a great definition of prayer. A loud cry of need to the God who rules over all things. God's strength is magnified in human weakness. Human weakness is expressed in prayer, and God uses our needy prayers to push back the avenger and to defeat his enemy. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. If we can catch this truth that God defeats his enemy, the strong, through weakness, it ushers our hearts and our souls to rest. Because then we can stop trying to climb the ladder of success to prove ourselves. We can stop running ragged trying to be perfect. 
We can stop trying to earn everyone's approval and every, everyone's respect. We can stop seeking power or, or wealth or fame. And we can simply be still and cry out in need and trust that our God is master and king over all things and that he uses our needy dependence, our prayer, to defeat his enemy. What we regard as weak, God makes the means of victory. What man regards as foolish, God makes the means of triumph. Our God is king and master over all things, but let's not forget and let's trust that our warrior king wins through weakness. He wins through weakness. second thing we see if we open our eyes is that God bestows dignity on all of humanity to rule his creation. God bestows dignity on all of humanity to rule his creation. So when we open our eyes, right, verse 4 is the response. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Right, there's a humility cultivated right, when we see. Who are we, O oh God? And what rest to our souls when we ponder that this God would fill his mind with thoughts of us. That this God who rules over all deeply cares about us. Who are we, oh God? Then the psalm gives us the doctrine of humanity in verses 5 to 8. You've made him, you made her a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. I'm going to stop there. There is a hierarchy if you will, to God's created order. There is the Lord, the King, the Master, who is distinct and above and over all of His creation. Then you have the heavenly beings, right? The angels. And then you have His creation. And in His creation, humanity is crowned with glory and honor. Or as Genesis puts it, humanity is created in the image of God. All of humanity has God DNA crowned with glory and honor. Every human being is created equal. There is no hierarchy in humanity. All are given dignity and value because all are born in God's image. We've had multiple terrorist attacks in the last week. Just saw Iraq, the terrorist attack that happened in Iraq this morning. The one that happened earlier in the week in Istanbul, Turkey. The death count in Istanbul was 43 deaths. Many were expats. Chinese, Israeli, people from differing countries all over the world. And I read a CNN article that said one of the survivors said that we felt, those in the airport when the attack happened, we felt a common humanity among us. A common humanity. In light of the attack, what bound them together was not their ethnicity, but their dignified humanity. That's sad, but the reality is that what often binds us together is not dignified humanity, but specific ethnicity, race, or class. So this verse in Psalm 8 strikes at the heart of racism and classism and lifts high the value and the worth of every human being. Whether you're Asian, African American, Latino, Caucasian, upper class, middle class, lower class, all are created to reflect the image of God, all crowned with glory and honor. Question, 
Do we see this? And do we believe it? When you pass someone on the street, do you look them in the eye and see their dignity? When someone's culture rubs you the wrong way, do you see its beauty? And do you see God in their midst? Or do you give dignity only when someone smells a certain way, acts a certain way, or dresses a certain way? I love that Durham is this eclectic city. People from different ethnicities, different socioeconomic levels, and I pray that we as a church would be able to see that what binds us all together is our common humanity and that God would enable us to be a church that reflects this beautiful diversity of this city that we love. Not only though does this verse strike at racism and classism, it strikes, strikes at sexism. It invokes a defending of those in the womb yet unborn. It invokes adoption and a defending of those who are born without home and without families. This verse invokes loving the immigrant and the marginalized. And I could go on and on because, church, we are to be pro-life in every sense of the word as Christians. Because all of humanity is crowned with glory and honor. The church of Jesus should be strong advocates for those who are oppressed, who have no voice, and fight for them because of their God-given dignity, their God DNA. And I'm not saying this to make a political statement. If you're hearing this your first time, you'll see over time here that our hope at Christ Central is not in politics, but it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I deeply believe that death, oppression in any form is a call and a cause to fight for justice. It's not a political cause, it's a gospel cause. So let me tell you this as well as I, as I say that. If you've played any role in the oppression of humanity in any way, and I would say that we probably all have in some, some way or the other, whether that be to those who are yet unborn or those of another race or sex or class or ethnicity, God's grace, God's grace abounds to us all this morning. As Timothy said earlier, His grace is greater than all of our sin. Not only those humanity given dignity, humanity is given dominion and rule over all of creation. The way that God has established to usher in His rule and His reign over His creation is to use us, humanity. As we love in His name, we bring His love to bear. As we seek justice, we bring His justice to bear. As we bring about beauty, we bring His beauty to bear. Catch this. Kings in the, in the ancient Near East kings who ruled in the ancient Near East, they were referred to as the image of God. They were referred to as the image of God. And what that meant is they were thought to be the ones who would go to God, hear what God wanted to accomplish on earth, and make it happen as it was true in heaven. And what Psalm 8 is telling us is that all of us were designed to be kings. And the image of God crowned with glory and honor to know what God wants to do and then we make it happen on earth as it is in heaven. Which means everything that we do and that you do has dignity and worth and value as we do so to make God and His ways present on earth. Your job, 
where you live, your recreation, your artistic creation, your family, your friendships, all of these are valuable in God's economy. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you use your gifts and talents, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat the clerk at the checkout counter, how you treat the beggar on the street or the successful in the eyes of the world or the addict in need. All of these matter and all are to be done in a way that brings, bring, brings God glory and it brings His glory to bear on earth. We're His image bearers. His royalty on earth to showcase in this theater of creation the glory of our Creator God. Do you see that out of all of creation, we are the ones who can see, and not only see, but converse with this Creator, crying out in need, asking what His will might be, or shouting out in praise. But general understanding of God does not save and heal us from sin. We need something to deal with our sin and to heal us, right, and to reconcile us to God. And so we must open our eyes and see Jesus. Born not like an angel, born as a child, infant in a manger, a king born in a stall, the God who became flesh. And when it was time, this God-man rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it's there he quotes Psalm 8. He says, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And what appeared weak, a Messiah riding on a borrowed donkey. The chief priests and the scribes yell, Crucify him, yet all the children praise him. Jesus would then be led to a tree, mocked, hung, crucified. Sure seems like this king is weak. Yet our warrior king wins through weakness. God conquers through what seems foolish to the world. The author of Hebrews also quotes Psalm 8 in reference to Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 6 to 8. It says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection, but we see him for a little while, who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus crucified. Three days later, up from the grave, he rose again, and Jesus stood and still stands in victory over death, sin, and the grave. And all of creation is in subjection to Christ. He's won the victory, and the glory will be his. Yet at the present, we don't see it fully. Which is why Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, tells his disciples to go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Because Jesus calls us, his redeemed image, image, his church, to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece to all of the world. So that all will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that all will then be able to understand more the beauty of creation as they are reconciled to their Creator. See, trusting Jesus does not make us and turn us into mystics or kind of pietistic people or even sentimentalists. 
Knowing and seeing Jesus helps us understand even more the beauty of all of creation because we are then reconciled unto this creator who rules over all. We have box seats, church, to the grand theater of creation that declares the glory of God. So open your eyes. See the majesty of God all around and rest. I say this to me, us busy and fragmented and technologically connected and divided people open our eyes and see God. And by God's grace, He offers us box seats to the grand theater of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through His Word and through worship and in prayer and with fellowship with others. And Jesus declares the glory of God. Do you see it? Do you see Jesus come this morning as we're about to to this table with your cry, with your need, with your weakness? And Jesus will meet you and he offers himself to you this morning. You know, on April 30th, 2013, Robert Galbraith released his crime novel, Cuckoo's Calling. Barely sold 500 copies in the first few months. Many stores considered pulling this book from the shelves, but the news on July 14th changed all of that. Because Galbraith, that it was announced, was not the true author. J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, actually wrote and published the book under a, a pseudonym. And from there, the sales skyrocketed. Everybody wanted this book, and it tops multiple bestseller lists. Their mere mention of Rowling's name invoked a response changed everything the name of jesus changes everything it impacts and causes us to shout praise and to worship god as augustine said our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee look to jesus trust jesus you will find rest for your souls and we will praise his name in all the earth Church, don't go through life with your head down and your eyes only fixed on your next footstep. Don't let life be so busy. Stop. Throughout your day, stop. Throughout your weeks, stop. Throughout your year, stop. And lift up your head and open your eyes and see the glory of God in all of creation and the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would Help us see this morning, even as we leave this place and we see your beauty and your creation, we see your humanity with dignity. Lord, may that cause us to praise and then even now specifically as we've gathered on a Sunday morning to see Jesus specifically, to be brought back into fellowship with the Creator through Christ. May we see Jesus and may our souls find rest in you and you alone. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.